Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and I'm thankful that you're listening. And I'm thankful that, not just that you're listening, but you're inviting me in to your life for a little bit. You're inviting me in to share a little bit of God's Word with you today. So, thank you. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say this, that we are learning how to live as God's people. We do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Well, I've got a message today. It's a little bit of a repeat from a few years ago, though reworked a little bit and extended a little bit, about the wise men, the three kings who visit a baby Jesus. And you might be thinking, a little bit more Christmas? I don't want any more Christmas. Christmas is done. It's the new year. And yes, a little more Christmas. Today, I want us to look at that story and look at those wise men. It's a story that many of us associate with Christmas, and with good reason, but the truth is, the Magi, the wise men, they didn't arrive on Christmas to honor Jesus. In all reality, the visit happens up to two years after the birth of Christ. The story of the wise men is actually one of the chief ways that we can date the birth of Jesus. King Herod, he ruled from 47 BC until about 4 BC. The Magi arrive up to two years after Jesus was born. Herod dies very quickly after the Magi visits. So, what we get is a birth for Jesus between the year 6 and 4 BC. So, that's an important side from the story. Now, what do you think of when you picture the wise men? Every nativity scene that I can think of has three wise men present, kings from afar, usually dressed in blue, uh, green, and red, and they have camels with them. I don't know why camels. They just put them on camels, right? Christmas cards portray these travelers following a bright Christmas star, but... The holiday memory separates us from some important information. On the night that Jesus was born, there were no wise men at the side of the manger. There were shepherds. There were angels celebrating in the heavens. And of course, there was Mary and Joseph. But the wise men, they came later. And as I mentioned, they possibly could have been even up to two years later after that first Christmas morning. And just what were these wise men trying to do? Why did they come at all? I'm not sure the Bible even gives us an answer to the question of why the Magi come from the East, why they made their journey, and I'm not even sure it tells us what they were expecting to happen after they encountered the toddler Jesus. But today I want to ask you to put aside your greeting card memories of the wise men in the Christmas story and to hear in their story that in Jesus' kingdom, there's a place for everyone who would believe, even the most unlikely people. And the wise men, they teach us a lesson in worship, that worship is dangerous, it's sacrificial, it's even regal. We need to learn to worship like these wise men worship Christ. So, let's go ahead and read the text. It's in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem. In Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. 
For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it, uh, with the, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So what do we know about these wise guys? Well, we really don't know much about them. Audrey West writes these words, Thanks to countless works of art, not to mention every Sunday school Christmas pageant ever performed, it's easy to imagine Magi as three kings atop camels, clothed in velvet cloaks, wearing jeweled turbans and cradling treasures from a kingdom far away. Apart from the gifts, none of these details appear in Matthew's account. We do not even know the Magi's names, despite long-standing traditions otherwise. The text calls them magi, or magicians. The reality is these wise men were probably not kings. The idea of them being kings comes from various Old Testament passages declaring that kings would bow to the Messiah. And reality is that these wise men, they just were not kings, as described in the Old Testament. Psalm 72.11 says, May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. But that doesn't mean that these magi were those kings of Psalm 72. Over the years, people have wondered if these wealthy magi were the kings, and the idea stuck. Though not kings, they would have been powerful men in kings' courts. These are no mere trick conjurers, but men who studied the stars for signs. Yeah, they were probably astrologers, and they applied wisdom of the ages and tried to give advice concerning the religions of their kings. These wise men were not Jewish. They were pagans. They were outsiders, and they were unlikely worshipers of Jesus. By every human measure, they do not belong in the story of Jesus, and thankfully, We don't get to write the rules about who gets to join the kingdom and worship Jesus. God sets those rules, and so there they are in our story. We're not sure where they came from through uh, the East. Uh, That that phrase, the East, usually refers to to Persia or Babylon or, or Arabia or even modern Iran, Iraq and Saudi Arabia. They're There would have been Jewish communities in these areas. This is probably how the Magi came into contact with Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah and were even looking for his arrival. Coming from the area of Babylon, if that's the place, they would have traveled over 900 miles by foot or camel. They would not have traveled alone. These were powerful men. They would have had guards and servants and entire entourage. It would have been noticed from miles away. There were probably not three wise men. This comes from the traditions of the Western church. As we read this story, we hear about three gifts. So we think there must have been three givers of those gifts. And in the Eastern church, they they believe that uh, there were 12 
to match the tribes of Israel or the disciples. It, it could have been three wise guys. It could have been 30 of them. The Bible doesn't tell us how many, just that there's a group of them. And they traveled far, and they intended to worship the new king of Israel. How did these wise men end up in our Christmas Eve nativity stories? Well, I don't have an answer, except that they are part of those that herald the arrival of the Messiah. They fit the chorus of the voices well. And one thing the Christmas story tells us is that the kingdom of Jesus is for everyone. And so we get angels worshiping and shepherds seeing Jesus and magi. From the highest to the lowest, everyone is touched by the birth of Jesus. Here's something else. The wise men show us how people typically think. At the beginning of our text, we are told that the magi, they go straight to Jerusalem. They know a king has been born and someone who will change the world has arrived. So they go to the capital, the center of power, to talk to the current ruler of Israel, Herod. That makes sense. We, we tend to think that big things happen in powerful places and in big moments. And we look for God to work in a flash and a bang. We think he shows up when we prosper or when all is set right. And we want to see God in what we call powerful and perfect moments. You know, I like to watch little kids open up presents, especially toddlers. They remind me that our perfect plans are not the perfect moments we think they'll be. A child will open the present and love it. If you're a parent and a grandparent, you worked hard to purchase a gift and you wanted it to be just right for that little one. But more often than not, there comes a moment when the toddler finds an even greater enjoyment when they play with the brown box the item came in. And now we look for God in the perfect moments. And he's often waiting in the plain, brown, dreary moments of life. We've just got to open up our eyes to see him working and, and there for us. So the wise men looked in Jerusalem, but Jesus was in Bethlehem. Now he's a two-year-old. At least, perhaps he's a two-year-old. Parents are staying in the place of his birth. They've upgraded from a stable to a house. Bethlehem's not the center of power. There's no fanfare in the life of Mary and Joseph. The first Christmas morning saw a manger for a bed and shepherds instead of priests. Everything about Jesus' arrival is telling us that those who are on the outside now have an opportunity to come into God's kingdom. And that's true of you as well. You have an invitation to join the kingdom of Jesus. Nothing in who I or you are, your family history, or the mistakes you made exclude you from your invitation. We are called to leave our old self behind and confess our sins to Christ. But each of us have the opportunity to declare Jesus King over our lives and join his kingdom. I wish I could tell you why the wise men made this journey, but I don't know. I wish I could tell you why it was these particular wise men. I don't know. All I can tell you is that they are a message that even the most unlikely people are free to come to King Jesus. And they also show us a lot about worship. So let's talk about that for a moment. What are the qualities of wise men worship? If you'll uh, allow me that phrase, wise men worship. Now, I want to be careful. None, nothing in the text tells us that the wise men left Jesus as newly minted disciples. 
We don't know that that was a decision they made. For all we know, they were giving honor to a prophesied king, uh, but in reality, they might not have understood the real significance of worshiping Jesus. But here are a few lessons that we can learn. Their worship was obedient. No doubt, there were several moments on their journey where it would have made more sense to turn around and head home. They could have given up when they heard that a king was coming out of Israel. They, they could have, because Israel wasn't a power of the world. Rome was a power of the world. What big of a deal is it to have Israel get a new king, right? What benefit would there have been in worshiping an Israelite king? Rome is the one that's in control. They could have turned around when they found that the new king was not in Jerusalem, but in a nothing town of Bethlehem. Why worship a peasant king? They could have turned around when they saw a two-year-old Jesus. Why worship a toddler? But these wise men were obedient, and their obedience became a declaration to the whole world throughout history of the Messiah. And for us, obedience in worship is important. Obedience is a declaration to the world of who or what you call Lord. Obedience is permission to let God work in your life. Obedience is acknowledging God is trustworthy above all else. Richard Baxter says this, The cost of obedience is nothing compared to the cost of disobedience. So the wise men show us the importance of obedience in our worship. Their worship was costly. I want to say the Magi's worship of Jesus was costly. Mostly, when I say that, most of us jump to the gifts they gave. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, and those are pricey. But there was more cost to the Magi. Uh, a modern way to think about this is they, they sacrificed their careers to go worship Jesus. You probably weren't expecting me to say that. But I would remind you, these Magi likely traveled like 900 miles or more. They left powerful kingly courts for an extended period of time, months. Each day away from their place of power was a day they lost influence and a day they gave someone else to move in on their territory. Now, many of us will sacrifice our families, our health, our best years to advance our careers. For many, faith in God is not even a factor when you make a career decision. Families will uproot to a new town for a job, not even asking if there's a good church community to go to. But these magi paid a cost of their very positions of power. They sacrificed their time. The journey took months at least. These wise men put their lives on hold to worship Jesus. How much of your life do you put on hold to worship Jesus? I think many people today put Jesus on hold while they chase an activity-filled life. They sacrifice their reputations. The wise men put their reputations on the line. They could have been laughed out of Jerusalem. I, I wonder if we're entering times and we're more likely to hide our faith to protect our reputation among our neighbors. And the actual gifts, yeah, were costly. They're expensive. Gold, we understand. Frankincense and myrrh are a little harder. But there's meaning behind the gifts that we will get into. But let's start by understanding that frankincense and myrrh are perfumes used by royalty and the wealthy. You got to you got to decide what's important to you. In when you decide what's important to you, you then weigh its cost. What's important to you in worship? Is it cost or is it convenience? We love convenient worship. Worship that's at the right time and the right style for me and gives us the right feeling. 
when you leave worship, have you asked yourself, what did this cost me? Worship has a cost, whether it's time or career or reputation or actual cost, you know, money. It has a cost. Their worship was also risky. That's the third thing I'd say about their their worship. These wise men could have chosen to worship Herod, but instead they chose Jesus. And it was a risk to choose Jesus over Herod. That decision put their very lives at risk. What will you do when worshiping Jesus is risky? Because it is. And there certainly will be times when it will be risky to worship him. People will think less of you or laugh at you. To help understand this risk, we need to know a little bit about who Herod was. He was the biggest name in Palestine. He was the richest man in the world. I think it's hard for us to get our mind around. And he created a Herodian world where size and wealth define the human condition. His rule was a strong one that brought tremendous success to Israel. He was the only Roman ruler who brought peace and kept peace of a kind to Israel. His family ruled Israel for 140 years. He had seven palaces. Every one of them were bigger than the Roman emperor's palaces. Uh, He built the Herodian, a massive fortress on the that overshadowed Bethlehem. He built Masada, a mountain fortress, a refuge from invaders and, and a place of rest from summer heat. He built, rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It also served to appease the religious leaders who were unhappy with a secular King Herod. He built an artificial harbor for Israel because they didn't have one. And he developed a concrete that could be poured into the ocean Herod could be generous. In difficult times, he remitted taxes. Uh, records, records indicate that uh, during a famine, he melted down his own gold to purchase food for his people. He was also insanely suspicious. This is where we got, start to understand the risk of Herod. Um, he was at best only partially Jewish, and he knew that was a problem. His heritage was that he was Edomian, or an Edomite. Uh, He did his best to make his way uh, into a respected Jewish line. He married into a Hasmonean family via his wife, uh, Merame, and then proceeded to kill off all the other heads of the family. He was uh, a master of massacring on a whim. Twice, uh, while planning business trips, he gave orders that his favorite wife would be killed if anything happened to him while he was away. He was infatuated with her and decided that no one else could have her. Uh, Upon one traveling trip, when he returned home, uh, he got back safely, so the orders didn't have to be carried out, but then he had her killed anyway because he was suspicious that she was unfaithful to him. Um... He also killed his uncle Joseph, his mother-in-law Alexandria, and three of his own sons out of suspicion from them. There is a famous quote from Caesar, the emperor of Rome, uh, who said to a close personal friend that I would rather be Herod's pig than his son, because he is that dangerous. And the Magi made a dangerous choice, a costly choice, a risky choice to worship Jesus instead of Herod. Crossing Herod is dangerous, but Jesus is the true king and worthwhile of worship. Something else about the wise men and their worship is their worship was for the king. 
Now that might seem like, okay, what does that have to do with worship? But they they traveled to see this new king. They they worship Jesus as a king. They they do not just worship a miracle. They don't worship an experience. They're not chasing a feel-good moment. Their worship was directed to and informed by the king of kings. And that matters. During the tenure of the great orator Henry Ward Beecher, a visiting minister, Beecher's brother, once substituted for the popular pastor. A large audience had already assembled to hear Beecher, and when the substitute pastor stepped into the pulpit, several disappointed listeners began to move toward the exits. That's when the minister stood and said loudly, All who have come here today to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now withdraw from the church. All who have come to worship God, keep your seats." And the heart of our worship needs to be about King Jesus and King Jesus alone. Something else about the wise men and their worship is their worship served Jesus' kingdom. I mentioned three gifts earlier, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these are expensive, and they serve Jesus' kingdom. They foreshadow the mission of Jesus. Gold is a sign of royal power. Frankincense is a spice used on the altar in the temple for offering sacrifices of atonement to God. This foreshadows that Jesus was going to atone for our sins on the cross. And myrrh, as well as perfume, was a spice used for burying the dead, foreshadowing the crucifixion, Jesus laying down his life for our sins. The worship from the Magi served the king, kingdom of Jesus. In a very practical way, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, they're going to have to flee from Herod. They're going to have to relocate to Egypt. And these expensive gifts, they're going to fund that relocation. Have you ever thought about how your worship serves the kingdom of Jesus? It does. These magi, they greet Herod with optimism and they heed the warning of the, in a dream of his danger. And let your worship of God be optimistic to all around you. And yet be wary when danger is apparent. The magi, they tell us a lot about worship. Perhaps they are a bit of a wake-up call on how we should approach Jesus. There's someone else's worship that I think we need to notice in our story today, or at least they talk about worship. That's Herod's worship. We can see that Herod is a dangerous man, but he tells the Magi that he wants to worship Jesus Jesus too. Uh, It's there in verse 8. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him too. Herod's worship was false and selfish. He was his own king, and he would not have any other king in his life. We may not think as wickedly as Herod does, but we are prone to being our own kings and queens. Magi and Herod are giving us a master class in worship. They're telling us a lot about what we should do and what we should avoid. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So perhaps this is the calling of the new year. This year, put yourself aside and truly make Christ king of your life. Peter Forsyth says this, The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. And that's what we're learning about from the story of the Magi. They were looking for their king, their master. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll receive this worship that we have offered today as a declaration of King Jesus in our lives. Help us to put aside our own egos and ambitions so that we would stop being little kings and little queens and start serving the kingdom of King Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with 
Jesus.